So welcome everybody to our workshop on affordable housing. I know that uh, uh, Commissioner McKenzie is gonna be a few minutes late and um, not sure if uh, Commissioner Ryan is gonna make it to this one. I know we'll be at the next one. So, um, so anyway, I'd like to uh, just welcome everybody this morning uh, to this kind of, for me, I know many of you a long awaited day after uh, really, baby, really, really several years, going back to 2018 when Dr. Murray first joined us and became our consultant and started working on needs assessments. So uh, we've, we've gone through two needs assessments and uh, now of course uh, about a year of being out in our community and um, talking to people from all walks of life, all geographic areas, uh, to figure out and find out what their what their needs are. And uh, I just want to um, just thank uh, none of this. We we have an amazing administration, but there's one person I have to highlight here right now, and that's Ralph Stone, and uh, just amazing um, uh, resource, uh, so much experience, and. Uh, Good with people too. That's great. So, we're we're just just want to thank you so much. And Sandra, my dear friend, uh, who who is the executive of the coordinating council of Broward. Those of you who may not know, that's a, um, a an organization that was formed to bring together all the larger human service organizations in Broward County uh, to work together on issues of concern to um, uh, and the and the needs of human services in our community. So we, we have a great collaboration there of the, um, the hospital districts, the school board, United Way, um, a number of other providers, um, of course the county, and uh, we have representatives from the business community and, um, and others. So uh, we've got a, a really good cross-section. And I just, I just wanted to say that for those of you that might not have heard what my theme is for the year. Uh, it is uh, community collaboration, achieving more together. And that's what this is about. That's what the, the one is this afternoon about, is about all of us coming together uh, to, do, uh, to make this a better community for everybody. And um, affordable housing has been um, obviously out there for a number of years as an issue. When I came onto this board, as Ralph reminds me, um, there, we were spending 200, the county was spending $250,000 on affordable housing. And this year we put in $23 million into our uh, trust fund and, uh, and the that the voters passed, by the way, 2018. The voters maybe knew more than anybody else by voting for that overwhelmingly and supporting uh, a trust fund unlike the Sadowski in Tallahassee where the money goes in and it's a lockbox, stays there, and it can only be used for affordable housing. But the bottom line is uh, we, all, we all kind of knew as we were moving along that we needed to have a, a master plan that we could involve, where we could involve everyone in the communities, in the community, and, um, and come up with a plan that would involve, uh, you know, all the, all the players and everyone would feel that they were a part of it and needed to be a part of it in every single way, including funding. Um, so uh, we're, we're here today um, because of the amazing work that's been done with this team here that's uh, going to be presenting to us um, after I'm sure Monica has a few words to say. But I'm just really thrilled to have uh, Sandra, Dr. Murray, Ralph Stone here today because they're the ones that have spent the year out there meeting with all of these people 
uh, whether it was Zoom or in person, business community, faith-based community, just across the board, and finding out what the needs were. And then Dr. Maria has presented us with this 10-year affordable housing master plan. And uh, so we'll, the goal is today to go through it, uh, discuss everything, find out if anybody has any concerns, any uh, uh, wants to talk about all the good things in it, or things that you know you still feel are needed, but um, and then with the goal of bringing it back to the county commission and approving it. So today's our opportunity to really have a, a, a discussion with the people who know the most about it. And again, thank you so much. I really appreciate this, and I personally appreciate the opportunity that my former mayor here next to me um, wanted to uh, allow this to be done under uh, under my uh, mayoral term, and which is kind of important to me. So thank you for that too. Um, okay, so Monica. Thank you, and I think you've just stolen every bit of my opening. So I am so <laughs> grateful for your your uh, your opening. Um, so, uh, Madam Mayor, as as you so um, adequately and eloquently um, described, you know, today is the culmination of um, more than a year's worth of of work on this. And um, so, you know, the county commission requested um, that this plan. Um, come forward after the review of the Broward um, Housing Needs Assessment uh, last year. And, and so um, you were going to hear a robust um, conversation um, as, you, as you shared, you know, this has been a years long worth of meetings and public outreach with all the stakeholders. It's, it's gone, it's over 60 stakeholder meetings. And just to give um, the audience um, and those listening an, an, an idea of the extensive outreach that was, in fact, um, conducted. It ranged from municipal partners, private sector, uh, the nonprofit sector, chamber meetings, faith-based meetings, uh, uh, the our, our housing options, uh, our human services, um, homelessness outreach uh, discussions. Well over a thousand individuals, if you, if you will, on a public hearing kind of environment where there's some back and forth dialogue. Um, what you're going to hear today, it includes some uh, plan update. The plan does update um, to take into consideration current conditions um, that have, have been um, evolving. Um, and, and it recommends three different strategies, which you've seen because you've got this in, in advance. But we're going to talk about um, densification, funding options, and some legislative uh, program options that we'll walk you through. Um, the final plan was delivered at the end of January. Uh, I'm sorry, will be delivered at the end of January. Um, uh, next month, and um, and we're um, like Mayor Rich uh, mentioned, we'll be bringing something back in the February March timeframe for you all to actually take uh, vote on on what we hear from you guys today and some and some feedback. Um, and and I would be remiss, you know, you did mention uh, Mayor Rich, uh, a lot of the partners, um, but uh, in addition, I also wanted to, as you shared with me earlier this weekend too, um, and, and yesterday with. Uh, uh, Walter Duke has been a great partner as well, and um, with the Broad Workshop and, and the the, the uh, subcommittee that he chairs. So it's been, like you mentioned, a very robust uh, and engaged conversation with all segments of the community. So with that, I'm going to um, turn it over to uh, Ralph just to, to kick it off, and then we'll go right to Dr. Murray. And Sandra will we'll have a tag team of a presentation and, and be available for any questions at the end. Thank you, Monica, and thank you, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, we've got the whole team introduced a couple times now, so I'm going to dispose of that. And we're going to be handing uh, the clicker back and forth a few times. I hope we don't drop it, but uh, 
Uh, we're going to try and move fast uh, through the information today and leave plenty of time for, for you all to talk. Uh, you know, I don't think we need to spend hardly a minute on talking about where we're at in terms of affordable housing. It's saturated, uh, I think, not only in Broward County, but statewide and nationally, uh, and everyone is struggling. And I recall back, before, as the mayor indicated, prior to 2018 when we were trying to get some traction, and my lead slide, slide was always, we're number last. So I'm not going to lead with that anymore. <laughs> you know, we're, we're past that. But if I had a slide like that, I would say, uh, we're number has done more. Uh, and the, the board, you'll see in a few minutes, has taken a real leadership role, uh, not only in the county and South Florida, but statewide in how uh, we're tackling this problem, which is is a, a, a serious one, and, it, and it's one that's almost uh, overwhelming unless you step back from it and start to strategize about how you take those pieces apart and get there. Uh, so we're going to start with uh, Dr. Murray and then Sandra, and then we'll slide back through the rest of these and open it up for questions. Uh, good morning, um, Mayor Rich. <laughs> Um, Board of County Commissioners, um, I would first like to, uh, and before Sandra notes all the stakeholders that, that supported the plan over the past year, I, I, I also want to just say that this could, we could not have reached this stage had it not been for a county staff. Um, I want to thank County Administrator Sapero her support and all the departments that were involved with this process, the planning department, and, uh, obviously Ralph's uh, department, um, the MPO, all the various departments and county agencies that participated in this, providing their technical expertise and sharing where they were in, in, in various planning efforts that, that they're undertaking. That's really critically important because ultimately, as we'll speak to later, the master plan is focused on housing, but it has to be interconnected with everything else we're doing, particularly as it relates to transportation, infrastructure, and economic development. And we think we've accomplished that, uh, but it, it won't happen and it, and it hasn't happened without the without the active support that we've had from, from the various departments and agencies that we've worked with over the, over the year, and we'll continue to do so. So I want to thank them, and, and it is very important. Now, the, the plan itself, um, let's begin with, with its stated purpose. Um, it, we, we, ha we had an underlying purpose to begin with, as, as, as Mayor Rich, you noted, uh, with the 2022 Affordable Housing Needs Assessment. Which, which obviously caught us up with where we're, at, where we're at in the market right now, and in particular as it relates to the affordable housing needs in the county. But it does take us all, all the way back to 2018, as you mentioned, because that's when we first noted that we had a crisis. There was an affordable housing needs assessment done at that point that, that spelled that out. Obviously, the 2022 study took it to another level and brought us up to date. We have additional information because part of our planning process over the past year has been to monitor the market, to monitor what we did back in 2022. A year later, where are we now? Where are we in December 2023 relative to the, to the plan that was done last, last fall? So that purpose has evolved. 
because as we've met with stakeholder groups and heard from stakeholders, a lot of what you're seeing in terms of the purpose right here comes from them. So we've been open to building upon the foundation, which was the needs assessment, begin to address this issue that Ralph raised, which is how do we share the burden uh, and, and recognize the challenges that we're dealing with. So first and foremost, we have to attain full county and municipal involvement in the production of affordable units. This is a county-wide effort. It has to be a county-wide effort, not just Andrews Avenue uh, and all the great work you've done over the years, uh, but this has to be county-wide, and we're going to get very specific as to what we mean by county-wide, starting with the 31 municipalities, our employers, our lenders, uh, all our organizations that have to be at the table, our institutions, all of, they would be, all of them would be a key part of this. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be connecting housing with economic development, jobs, transportation, infrastructure. Really important that all the plans that we're doing in the county speak to one another. Secondly, provide accountability measures. We, have, we will be introducing a dashboard that, that will account for the progress that we make on an annual basis uh, at the municipal level, but also in terms of all the other participation, which is important in terms of our employers, in our institutions. So with that, I'm gonna hand it over to Sandra, who's gonna give a little bit more background on the engagement process that ensued over the past year. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm gonna keep my remarks brief because we've heard it so many times, but uh, we really want to focus on everyone really understanding that community engagement process. Uh, Senator Geller, I've heard you so many times from the day as saying, it's not just the county, it's not just the county. You're right, it's not just the county. And so this last you know, year plus effort really was meant to engage business, municipal, faith-based, nonprofit, and to really go to all of these partners and say, you have a piece of this, we want to hear from you, and also to put you on notice that as Dr. Murray said, there's going to be some account accountability measures in there. Uh, I want to give another shout out to Walter Duke, and if you didn't see his op-ed in the paper this morning, it was really fantastic, but I want to take you back. I want to make sure that on the front page you all saw uh, that the top of the presentation says, leading the charge and sharing the burden. Uh, and I think that that's a really important message for all of you, that, that today's plan is, is not for the, the Board of County Commissioners and for Broward County to take on exclusively, but rather what we're hoping is for your leadership as we do hold some of these other um, partners accountable. Uh, we were exhaustive in our effort to reach out to the community. Uh, oftentimes, housing affordability uh, advocates like to stay in their own little uh, bubble. Uh, so we went as far out of the bubble as we possibly could. Uh, you see some of the organizations. I also want to give a shout out to the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance and to Marcia Barry Smith from the uh, Broward, who chairs the Broward Housing Council. Uh, but it really has been an exhaustive effort. We heard uh, County Administrator Sapero this morning say it was well over 60 meetings, and those are just the ones that we kept note of. We met online. We met in the morning. We met in the middle of the day. We met at night. We met whenever it was there was a group that was willing to hear it. Sometimes it was the three of us, sometimes it was one of us, uh, but we really wanted to make sure that every population was heard, that every different partner was engaged in the process so that when we have this plan and we've got those accountability measures, no one can say, hey, you're volunteering us to do something. Uh, we reached out, we engaged, we heard feedback, and so we really want to make sure that as we go through this plan that you all are comfortable with how, how much we bent over backwards to really make sure that we were engaging all different stakeholder groups in all of the districts across the county. Um, 
And that concludes my remarks. I said I would be quick. Thank you, Sandra. So we want to take just a few minutes to, to reflect on what the board has done and, and the incredible leadership that the board has provided. And I'll get into this slide in just a little little detail in a second and go quickly through the ones that followed up. But what I was thinking about, you know, it's not just the big things that we do, like the $20 million in gap financing that the board has taken a leadership position on. And, and just a really short period of time, these last five years, and I was just jotting some things down, You'll recall that coming out of the, the Great Recession, we started doing infill single-family homes in the BMSD. At that time, uh, the property appraiser told me that he didn't know what the value of those escheated lots were. He thought it was zero. We called it 10,000 and just just launched. And since that time, we've built 100 homes in the neighborhood. And I, I had a staff member go back and, and look at just in the last year what the, pro the vacant property values are selling for in the BMSD, averaging $75,000. We've got home sales in the BSD, BMSD of over $400,000. And those one by one, lot by lot, uh, homeowner by homeowner investments that put a stake in the ground in a street front has made all that difference. Fantastic piece of work. Uh, for lack of a better term, the Geller Amendment, we all, we all call it the Geller Amendment, it was leading the notion that in a built out environment like ours, what we have to deal with in the future are old old big box stores, old shopping centers and the commercial corridors. And you see that happening out there. That's gonna to continue to evolve. Uh, the revolving loan fund that we invested in with the Regional Planning Council, which uh, Senator Geller chairs this year, a million each uh, with the HFA and the board. So we're turning over four homes a quarter uh, that is funding the construction of infill properties like we did in BMSD all over the county. Uh, the rest of the cities looked at the program there and said, how can we duplicate this and how do we fund it? And we created that revolving fund to do that. The downtown rack in Fort Lauderdale, 8,000 units, that's turned into 1,200 affordable housing units, which we put no dollars in. The private sector delivered that to us. Um, all 50 entitlement cities administering their, their block grant home and ship funds. Uh, and uh, on and on. But the the real game changer for us has been the gap financing that the mayor talked about initiating uh, in 2018. Now we're up to $20 million this year. Uh, so since that point in time, you can see the top line, just the county's gap uh, has delivered over 2,600 units, almost 2,700 units. And what what we have done in that program is, is pretty unique. Uh, we. We decided rather than to continue with the 30-year affordability period, let's kick it out 20 years and make it 50 years. And in fact, I was in a RPC meeting with uh, Senator Geller a couple years ago when the commissioner from Key West said, 30 is not enough, you need to do 50. We're doing 50. Um, we are averaging under $50,000 unit subsidy, which people in this industry told me it's gonna be 75, 100 a unit. Uh, but that 2,600 units were averaging 46,000 a unit subsidy. Uh, and uh, by the way, it's kind of like a slow rolling revolving loan program. This is not a grant program. We get that funding back at the end of 30 years. And by the way, generally uh, these property owners are refinancing at the 15 year mark. So about half of these deals, we'll see that money roll over in 15 years and we'll put it back to work. Uh, and uh, Mr. Duke was kind enough to uh, uh, do an assessment of what that economic impact is. 
I'm not going to go through all of this, but you can see at the top line over a billion dollars of investment uh, and 4,800 units, uh, which includes not only the gap units that we did, that top line, the 26, 68, but that other 2,200 units came from 9% tax credits and sale loans at the state, the, ho uh, the Housing Finance Authority, uh, bond deals that didn't have gap, so that we have kind of opened the door for the development community in Broward County. Uh, I will tell you that uh, prior to this effort, uh, when we had gap financing, uh, we would be lucky to do a bond deal or two a year. And here you have a slide in front of you that shows in, in the last rolling 12 months the number of bond deals that the Housing Finance Authority has funded. Uh, let's see, 11, 16 deals. And, and look at the numbers in that bond award column, those 22 million, 77 million, 19 million. That is the equity that's, that's, that's uh, provided to us through the federal government, uh, through the state, that matches up the gap financing. So when you, you think about a 100-unit project, it's a $30 million deal. We're putting in $5 million, but we're freeing up this, this bond equity uh, to make up the rest of the deal. Uh, so it's, uh, as I said, in, in previous years, we would do one or two a year. And when I talked to people in the industry, they said, you know, I said, you know, what happened? What's the deal? So first of all, you've got this enormous demand, as Dr. Murray's documented, you know, 150,000 a demand in affordable housing. But we wouldn't come here because it was too hard and too expensive. And by the way, we could go to, to Dade County and, and uh, you know, take advantage of their surtax every day of the week. When that first five million opened up the uh, the first year competitive process, I think we had four deals, and now we're getting, you know, sometimes uh, five, ten uh, applications, a circuit, uh, a cycle, but but to submit an application to us or, or to Florida Housing, it cost about a half a million dollars and about a year's worth of lead time to put those together. So. Can you quickly go back two slides because for the for for the lay people both in the room and on, and on the phone I really want to I really want to emphasize that were it not for that 123.1 million that you all funded that 59.8 and that 351.1 would not be coming to Broward County it is only because of the local investment that we are able to get our quote unquote fair share from the state and from the feds. And I think that that's really critical and, and perhaps something that we don't focus on as much as we should, but our ability to throw in, put in dollars into the deal locally is what allows us to leverage dollars from the state and the feds that otherwise would not be coming to Broward County. Sorry. That's right. Rolling 15 months, last 15 months, right. Uh, and, and Sandra knows this stuff because she sits on the uh, <laughs> Florida Housing Finance Corporation board along with Deb Montwani. So we've got, we've got two members that we, we lean on when, when, we, uh, when we need the help. Uh, and finally, um, we have the benefit of the two big federal grants, uh, the Home and the Block Grant and then the state ship money. And collectively with the 15 entitlement cities, uh, in Broward County, which, by the way, is unique in the nation. There may be two or three other counties, uh, Orange County, California, and the county up in Boston that has this many entitlement cities. What it means is we've got 15 big cities, over 50,000, that are out doing this work with us. And you can see collectively that's $43 bucks. 
and it touches about almost 900 homes a year uh, in terms of home repair and purchase assistance. And the reason that's important is because it balances out what the gap financing delivers in, in the rental market, which is desperately needed, with investing in the neighborhoods. And uh, we've heard from all of y'all and the community that we want to continue to focus on that. So at this point, I'm going to slide over to Ned, and he can uh, pick it up with the plan. Okay. Well, thank you, Ralph. Um, now we're going to get into the actual framework uh, and, and, and the guts uh, as well of the, uh, of the plan itself. Um, four main sections to the plan that, that, uh, that we're working on. Quite a bit of that narrative has already been created. The, the first section will be to, once again, make that, those, that key um, assessment of, of where we are uh, right now as of January when the plan gets submitted. Uh, in terms of the market. So that'll be a very important discussion. I'm going to get into a couple of those slides right now. Um, we're going to also talk about um, the gap analysis at the municipal level and, and, and ultimately how that can be addressed at the, at the municipal level. The section three, which, which gets into the, the key planning and policy recommendations, there were three essential areas there, densification, funding, and the legislation and programs that we'll be proposing. And then the last, which was previously mentioned by, by Ralph, are the performance metrics. <laughs> Just as an update, really a quick update, um, I mentioned before that we're monitoring the market uh, since uh, September of last year when we finalized the Broward County uh, Affordable Housing Needs Assessment. As you all know, we go back to August in 2018, as the mayor noted. Uh, we can see a trend since 2018, uh, but what's really accelerated, as you all know, is what's happened post-COVID. Uh, you can see that jump just from August 2022 to August 2023 in terms of the median single-family sale price, almost a $50,000 jump in, in that one year over year. We've been seeing that trending up and down a little bit, but uh, no, no end in sight at this point. Uh, the rents, uh, probably the most critical aspect of the plan because this is our workforce. This is where the greatest demand is coming from. This huge jump in rents between 2021, post, this post-COVID investor frenzy that occurred, not only here but many parts of the country, as you know, um, really has created a lot of distress out there in the community. This is, going to, this is going to have to be a real important focus of the master plan. Uh, you can see those numbers, 70% increase since, 2000, uh, since 2016, and another close to 40% increase year over year just over the past year. Those, the, those rents, by the way, those uh, existing and asking rents um, are softening a little bit but essentially the, the, uh, uh, the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, in terms of unaffordability. But I should also note that where we're seeing a lot of movement right now, uh, which is really hurting our renters, are in the lease renewals. Uh, the asking rents have, have stabilized, but those lease renewals are really, really expensive, and that's what's really hurting renters right now. Um, as we get into the actual uh, municipality breakdown, 
we, we, we did another twist on this since we did the affordable housing needs assessment last year. We're now looking at every municipality in the red, the final, uh, the last column, of course, you see the gaps from that assessment. But we're also looking at updated uh, household incomes, obviously the median sale prices that came out uh, third quarter of 2023 for, for each municipality. And most importantly is that third column, the affordability ratios uh, that are just um, three to four times what they need to be to create a sustainable housing market. And you can see some of these, it, it doesn't matter which community it is, uh, which municipality is, I should say. Uh, these are really serious numbers in terms of a lack of affordability. And, uh, and next would, of course, in, the, in, that, in that last column, uh, the gaps that, that, that we need to address. So we can understand why there's such gaps, because when you have affordability ratios at that level, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the ratio of the median single uh, family home price to median uh, household income, that's what you get, essentially. On the renter side, um, once again, uh, numbers that at the municipal level, uh, which are um, creating really sizable affordability gaps uh, for, for most renters and, and all our municipalities. These are huge, huge gaps. And one of the le main reasons why, once again, we have such, um, such large affordability, overall affordability demand gaps uh, that we're showing in, in the final column. Uh, we're finding a lot of this, probably about two thirds of it, is coming at that uh, under 80% of AMI. And we're gonna show some numbers that, that support that. Um, this was an important exercise to, to emphasize what I just said. Uh, we need to look at our uh, lead industries. As we mentioned earlier, our employers are gonna have to be big players in the implementation of the master plan. And as you can see here, that the, the table on the left, which lists our top 10 industries by employment, you can see the median earnings from 2021, the most recent numbers we had, the employees that we have within uh, those sectors, and then the housing unit demand that they're creating. Now, if you flip to the right table, you can see what, what I'm getting at here in terms of affordability. Most of the jobs in the leading occupations within those sectors are at 50% or less of AMI. Most of them. Um, relate that to the comments because something that is kind of a little pet peeve of mine is uh, the, the <laughs> fact that the three occupations that are mentioned always are teachers, firefighters, and police. And I think this chart is so important to show the breadth of the problem in our community in terms of the occupations where people are you know, not able to afford their housing. It's such a great question, uh, a, a point that you just made, Mayor. And, you know, we, we've learned a lot since COVID, uh, who, who was impacted by COVID. We learned a lot about who our frontline workers are. We, we know who, we, you know, we, we've made references to essential workers, which is typically your police and fire and our teachers, and they are, there's no question. But our frontline workers are also our essential workers. And as these numbers show, uh, the, 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 they're quite dramatic and, 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 and quite disturbing. Um, and and un, unfortunately, uh, COVID highlighted that. And, and, and as we began to recover uh, in the last couple of years, 
we see where all that growth has come in terms of employment. It's in these same sectors. You can see these numbers. Uh, we monitor this on a monthly basis, and, and when you translate that into household income, it, it is quite saddening. And, and that's the main reason why we see two-thirds of, uh, of the demand gap within, among households at 80% of AMI and under. And Ned, before you move on, the, the statistic that we use a lot, uh, which was not only uh, developed in, in Ned's work, but uh, at the state level at the, the Schimberg Center that does the Florida housing, uh, affordable housing uh, analysis, that uh, one of every two employees, one half of our workforce earns 60% of area median income or less. That's about $40,000 a year. If you use the, the standard cost burden, which is 30% of your wages, that breaks down to about $1,000 a month that these families should have to spend on housing. And when we've got uh, average rents, which you know, you know, you've seen from Ned's slides, that are anywhere from 2,500 to 3,500 for a two bedroom. That's why uh, we're dead last in the state in the number of available and affordable households for that 60%, that one half of our workforce less than 25 units for every 100 of those families. Maybe we move on to the, to, to the three main topics uh, that I mentioned in terms of our planning and policy recommendations. We start with densification and funding and then the legislation, uh, legislative program. The, the densification discussions have been ongoing and, and, and we really once, once again want to uh, thank uh, uh, the, the county's planning department it's plan um, uh, for all the help that, that they have provided during this period. Individual municipalities who, who we've talked to, senior planners, planning directors uh, within, uh, within the county, to begin looking at this. And of course, best practice. There's always a best practice element to everything that we do in terms of what, what are other localities doing, what are, what are other counties and states doing around the country. Because as Ralph mentioned, you all know, this is, this is, this is a national issue. And, and most metropolitan areas in the country are having to deal with this in one way or the other. So there's some good knowledge out there, some good experiences out there. Um, so the, the first thing we have to really focus on is, is really how do we how do we address the, the, these huge gaps that we're seeing in terms of uh, both renter and owner demand, uh, and and how do we get to the to the to the numbers that we're going to need over the 10-year period of the master plan, uh, uh, in in, a, in, a, in an achievable way, uh, and which we're going to get into more specifically as well. Um, we're going to introduce on top of what this commission has done, and and we and, and Ralph. Uh, as already mentioned, uh, Commissioner Geller, your amendment, which was so important to set, creating the, the foundation for a lot of this in our commercial corridors throughout the county. Um, we're going to look at some areas, once again, linking jobs trans and transportation, and, and even this bigger picture in terms of quality of life, the fact that people could actually live and work in fairly close proximity of one another, or have transit, quality mass transit to provide that opportunity really important. So we're looking at adding to this, to, to this um, uh, um, uh, menu of opportunities these new municipal redevelopment impact areas. And, and, we, and the term municipal is very purposely 
put in there because we want to focus in that this, uh, this happens at the municipal level, even though a lot of these county, these are county roads, state roads, the municipalities, these run through our municipality. And, and that's a really, really important point here. So what we're talking about are uh, municipal redevelopment impact there is that a commercial, commercially zoned corridors, not just land use, but commercially zoned corridors within one mile of our activity centers, both regional and local, corridors and major roadways within one half mile of existing and planned transit stations, and commercial corridors and major roadways targeted for major transportation and infrastructure projects. And as you know, the MPO now has to coordinate transportation infrastructure with housing. We're going to help help them integrate that. That's why it's important that our plan speaks to their plan and, and vice versa. Um, mixed use, mixed use, single single uh, structure and mixed use vertical horizontal. Really important that we um, focus a little bit in on this because mixed use development is really hard to do. I think we all know that. Reason why we don't have a lot of mixed use development is because it's difficult. So just putting it in the books and not talking about it in terms of how it actually gets done is not, not really helpful. So we're, we're, we're putting a lot of thought into that. Bonus height allowances or exemptions for height restrictions, particularly within our activity areas and, and, and other, uh, and, and perhaps sections of the municipal redevelopment impact areas we're talking about. Flexibility in design standards and site requirements, reduce parking of course, has to be looked at. And parking exemptions, particularly when they are located in proximity to a uh, transit station. So these are the key components, a lot of uh, discussion going on among us right now uh, with, with not only the, the, the working group here, but also all the stakeholders and the MPO and our, and our planning council who have been just great to work with us. I mentioned we'll continue to do that. And if you begin to look at the coverage of that on the map, I'm sorry. And so what this does, it, it, it really, once again, using, using the, Commissioner Geller, your, your, your foundational uh, mapping here, we, we then, we, what we're showing here are not only uh, the, the centers, the activity centers, both regional and local, uh, but also these new impact areas that we're talking about, and then in, in the green areas where, based on the information we've gotten from the MPO, is where we're targeting some really large transportation infrastructure. If we're going to be making infrastructure investment, transportation, we need to be also thinking about how does that help accommodate um, housing as well. Is there an opportunity there? And, and that's going to be really important, important for them as well in their planning efforts. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Ralph to take over the funding aspect of the, of the plan. Thank you. Well, I, I, I take off my academic hat and put on my, I used to be a planning director for many years, I think some of you know, my, uh, my professional cap here, and, and, and I know how hard it is to do. 
but when you have the foundation of activity centers that are that we have a purpose and intent of creating higher intensive development for job creation and tra transit and housing, you have a real opportunity to do true mixed use. Uh, not, and not just mixed use on a project by project basis, but creating mixed but transit oriented communities around them. Transit oriented communities around <coughs> specific projects. Sometimes we get so project focused we, we don't think about the larger community and how that all connects. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. So we, we are mindful of that, I'm sure you all are too, that we use a lot of these terms in, in planning and zoning, uh, but we have to make sure that they're working. Mm -hmm. I, can, I, can, I can tell you now in our part of our analysis, and we've had conversations, that our activity centers are not performing the way they should from a job creation perspective. That's a whole other discussion, but maybe there's something here we can do in terms of our master plan to create higher performing activity centers. And if we do, then everything we're trying to accomplish relative to housing, jobs, and, and, tra and transportation will, 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 will work out a little bit better. Some of the folks can't hear, so we talk. Just to briefly comment on follow up on what Commissioner McKenzie and Dr. Murray were saying, I, I really think that the mixed use is the key to making a lot of this work, uh, along with the transit oriented development. And you know, I served on the committee for 18 years, including serving as chair that ran did growth management statewide. So I have all of the American Planning Association awards, stuff like that. The problem that we have had is when you set up one building and expect it to be, all right, Meisner Park, they're going to be mixed use. That doesn't work because there's not enough, um, it, it's one area. What you need to do is we need to be creating cities again, which we really haven't done since the advent of the internal combustion engine. <laughs> we really need to be breaking down the, you live here, you shop here, and you work here. And that's why the TO transit-oriented development is so important. And if you do this on one block or one development, it won't work. But if you do it in a big area like a real city where people walk three or four blocks and there's 20 restaurants and 40 stores and six office buildings, that's better for our economy it is much better for not using fossil fuels. You can walk at places. You've got the mass transit, which mass transit doesn't work without density. So you ha I think, Dr. Murray, you're right on point on where you're going. I, I may have opinions on funding and, and the possibility of passing legislation, but you're right on point on the densification and the mixed use. And, and Senator, I would I would follow up with the the work that the board did in allocating, for example, eight thousand units to downtown Fort Lauderdale. Look at it today. Right. That's exactly what's exactly. happened. And if you reflect back when the riverfront commercial development was developed, and there was no residential, it failed. And those kinds of developments failed all over the state and all over the nation. So it's all about that depth of residential that can can bring the the disposable wealth that can support the retail and the restaurants. Absolutely. So uh, we know uh, in, in the three uh, categories of recommendations, they're all designed to, to deliver affordable housing to us, those 
recommendations that Ned just made obviously do that in different ways. People most directly associate a lot of this with, with funding. Uh, and I, as I've, you've heard me say uh, frequently that uh, affordable housing is a real estate deal with a subsidy in almost every instance. Mm -hmm. So we need funding. And uh, the board has been a uh, uh, municipal, uh, countywide, and, and state leader in coming up with the idea of using the expired TIF that generated the gap financing. And uh, just, just a few pieces of that, as you know, uh, that we've been using the 50% of the expired TIF with some additional assistance from, from the budget for several years now. Uh, it, it's a 30-year uh, uh, loan with a 50-year affordability period. And uh, we have the opportunity, I'm not going to go through all of these points, to significantly increase uh, the estimate of the 30-year horizon from uh, 18,000 units, doubling that up to 36,000 units if we used 100% of, of the TIF financing. And, and we have the benefits that are laid out there. I would, I would mention that also the way we access and fully utilize the HFA bond allocation, which is 100 to $120 million a year, is to get up to the $20 million level and gap. And that's why the board was kind enough and smart enough this year to supplement about $10 million in expired TIF with another $10 million. That allows us to fully utilize that 120 and it, and it, it, it manifests itself in that list of HFA projects that uh, uh, Senator Geller mentioned. So uh, when we look at uh, how best to maximize the number of units going forward with the opportunity to use 100% of expired TIF, you'll see that we continue to hit that $20 million level for the next couple of fiscal years until FY27, in which enough of them have expired that we don't have to, to, to look to the general fund for that supplement. The expired TIF does it on its own. Uh, and, and just uh, uh, another quick point, and I, uh, Commissioner Furr is not here, but if he was, he would be bringing this to my attention. It says we can't just do multifamily, there are neighborhoods to deal with. And if you reflect back that we do have that federal and state funding and, and the grants that do that, but once you reach that $20 million level and you've absorbed the full uh, bond amount, then it opens up the ability to, to use the money for other strategies. I listed a few. The infill development, we talked about, Commissioner, before you came in, uh, what we've done in the BMSD. Absolutely marvelous work there that's changed that neighborhood. Uh, home repair, purchase assistance, nonprofits, et cetera. So um, I got assignment for to, to go over this strategy, I think, because the team felt I was the most disposable. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is not true. <laughs> but before you ask me to leave, I'm going to give it my best shot. I already, um, I already warned people there was going to be some discomfort here. So yeah. <laughs> Now, we all know the mayor counts five. So I'm feeling pretty good. Um, when we started in on looking at this, I call it kind of reverse engineering, we were assessing what had gone on nationally, and there were some really significant geo bond issues. Oakland, California had issued one that I think was around $700 million. So we, we looked at the idea with the mayor's leadership of possibly uh, that is a technique, and I think we've had some discussions about that. Uh, so we were kind of pegging it against a $500 million 30-year geo bond issue, which is down at the, the, the third uh, option. Uh, 
but we know that if we uh, use 100% of the, the expired TIF uh, based on uh, the criteria that I mentioned in the last slide, uh, that we can hit uh, at the end of a 30-year period 36,000 units, at the end of a 20-year period about 21,000 units. Uh, and uh, if you compare that with the current policy, which is 50% of the expired TIF, obviously it's half that number of units, uh, 12,000 and 18,000. But what is, is interesting is if you compare it to a $500 million geo bond issue, three things pop out. One is you have half a billion dollars to produce units. What's that going to produce? Turns out it'll produce 10,000 units, which is less than either of the 50% or the 100% uh, options. Number two, it costs you almost dollar for dollar in interest carry, $428 million for $500 million in construction uh, productivity. So almost a billion dollars and you get $500 million worth of unit construction. And thirdly, which is interesting to all you guys, requires a countywide referendum. Using the expired TIF, either 50% or 100%, solves all three of those problems. And who would want to spend twice as much money for half as many? Not me. So we're strongly <laughs> recommending that we migrate toward using 100% of the expired TIF for those reasons and another reason. And it goes back to the tagline that we had at the beginning of the slideshow. Uh, is taking a leadership role, but sharing the burden. And I think if the board uh, took the position of using 100% of the expired TIF, stuck that stake in the ground, and uh, led uh, the, the county and the, the, the cities by uh, making that uh, commitment, it would really tell a story, and I believe uh, put peer pressure on uh, not only the other local government partners, but the, uh, the private sector also. So um, we can spend some more time talking about that. Uh, the last point I'll make is that, uh, and, and Norm's not here, but if he was, um, this might not put a smile on his face, but it would give him some relief. We've been using the, the TIF financing and sending it out to 13 CRAs for 30 years. Our share, their share. We've been partners there. As this expires, I won't call it found money, because it's real general fund dollars, but it's money that Norm hasn't allocated toward a recurring cost, not dedicated toward some future capital improvements. It's really funding that we don't have, have to go and find. It's sitting there waiting for us to put to good use. And given the, uh, the significance of the affordable housing crisis in Broward County, I can't think of a better use of that funding. So at that point, I'll stand up and leave and pass this over to okay. <laughs> Yeah, drop the mic. Yeah. Okay. Oh, do you want me to do number two? Yeah. Yeah, real quickly, let me touch touch on number two, only because this, this also uh, affects the expired TIF. As we've we've used the 50% uh, of the expired TIF, and now I think there are four communities where it's expired, we have not asked them to do anything with their share. Uh, they have their own, and millage rates are pretty close, so... While we're, we're using it, the expired TIF for affordable housing, they're not. We're recommending that all of the cities that have expired TIF look to allocating 
half of their expired TIF, not all of it, but half of their expired TIF for affordable housing. We see the deficiencies that, that uh, Dr. Murray showed uh, by city in the previous slides. And by the way, over the 30-year horizon, that would total 30,000 units. So we're, we're strongly recommending that, that the cities uh, that have, have the, those 13 cities uh, use their half of their expired TIF helping us solve this problem. Are there any of them that are doing that now? There, there are some that are using their existing TIF for affordable housing. Fort Lauderdale is doing a really good job at that. Mm -hmm. Hollywood is doing some, uh, to name two. Uh, but none that have really gone the extra step to dedicate, to dedicate their expired TIF. How do you do that? How do you get the municipalities to do? I mean, I used to joke around with Bertha when she was here. We send them a letter every year. You got to do your share. We never heard back. How do we? How do we get that to the next step? I think part of it has been uh, the outreach that, that Sandra talked about. As as we went out and talked to uh, economic development uh, officials at all the cities in a combined meeting, individual cities at their request, uh, city managers association. Yeah, there wasn't a single group that pushed back and said, yeah, I'm not going to do this. I think they all recognize that like, this, is a, <laughs> this, this is a really serious issue. And, and I, I have told them flat out that the board has got the sword all the way in the hilt. There's not much more that you can expect the Board of County Commissioners to do. We do the expired TIF, and, and we continue to uh, administer the other programs that we have uh, ongoing, including implementing uh, the, uh, the densification ideas and some limited uh, policy and legislative things. They're, they're the located, the 31 cities is where the 150,000 unit deficiency resides. It's their employees, it's, it's their residents. They're not gonna pick up the baton. You know, I'm not gonna help them. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. We've done enough and they need to, do, they need to start. That's Madam the story. Mayor? Okay, yeah, I promised uh, Commissioner Rogers that uh, she could make sure I was trying to figure yeah. out how I was gonna navigate. What was the order? I was waiting for us to determine. Well, we're not opening not. yet, but you, I know you had your hand up and a couple of other people did, so, yeah. so I'm giving you an opportunity. I know, I know, so I'm shooting, okay? Before we move forward from where we are, thank you. Mr. Mayor and I, former mayor and I, we waited for guidance. So I'm taking, jumping in, as my colleague says, shoot. And I want to go back to the word that is floating right now, densification. And got some understanding as to where that go. Fully understand also gentrification. And I would like yes. in our conversation that we speak to those issues because in the groups that I'm talking to, they want to know where we are on those issues because we know how those terminologies can impact certain communities that don't fully understand where we are going. It's good to hear that we have a plan for the TIF funding, and I won't get into that. But I just wanted, before we move on, thinking all is well, because also the mode of transportation and transportation, we have history to tell us sometimes when we are not planning and including everyone in the conversation, we end up with 
sunrise and 441 for years. Um, deterioration of that community. The transit quarters was dying. <coughs> so now we have a good um, state of the art building in Lauder Hill, which is in my district. But for a while, Sunrise and 441 created a challenge for that community. And we note um, there are plans to do similar roadway impact that will truly impact the residential plans that you have for mixed use and all of that. If your roadways is gonna create problems where people will not be stopping in the cities to shop and do different things like was done, and you will hear me say that, Ralph and Mr. Murray, that we need to always keep that. Gentrification, densification, and the transit corridors, those conversations must be had. And we will talk about how you have engaged cities because in, at another time, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I'll just yeah. briefly comment that uh, you're absolutely right, Commissioner. And, and uh, the map that uh, Dr. Murray put together shows where we intend to uh, try and apply opportunities to increase development. And they, they absolutely lie on those old, become old commercial corridors that run north, south, east, and west. Uh, I have probably, since you've been on, on the, the dais here at the County Commission, had at least a dozen conversations with either elected officials from cities in your district and or with developers in tow uh, in regard to properties that are on those corridors, corridors. you know, uh, 31st Street, et cetera. And uh, we're working uh, really weekly uh, because the development community sees that that is going to be the future opportunities in the county. Gentrification is, is a sore spot. Uh, there's, there's not a uh, neighborhood in Broward County that used to be the opportunities for affordable housing and first-time homeownership that's not experiencing severe uh, increases in pricing and it's pricing people right out. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's a private sector phenomenon. Local government's going to not step in and cap the price of housing. But it does have a negative okay. effect on those people uh, yeah. that uh, both reside there and, and, and want to find their, their affordable place. Yeah. Go ahead and continue. <laughs> I'm actually going to start with number four. I'm going to flip four and three around um, because four gets to, once again, uh, the, the theme of, of the master plan, and that is providing the leadership and, the, and sharing the burden um, at, at the municipal level. Um, so what we've done in the plan, and you've already seen a lot of the numbers and, and, and some of the policy recommendations that we're, that we're putting forward, is that municipalities are going to have to play a real key role here. Um, and what we're looking at in terms of fair share, uh, we're not asking any municipality to, to, to uh, fill those huge gaps entirely within a 10-year span of the master plan. But we think a 50% goal is doable, given 
the strategies that, and programs that we're going to be recommending. Um, and once we have that capacity in place, um, we would then hope that after the 10 years, and 10 years, as you all know, goes by very, very quickly, uh, and that in years 11 to 20 and beyond, uh, we'll be able to take, even take this to another level. It will be an ongoing, sustain, uh, sustainable type of effort at, at, the, at the county and municipal level. So, um, so by that first 10 years, uh, we, we, we need to really jumpstart um, a lot of what we need to do. So we're going to start with that 50% goal of fair share. Uh, and then we're going to work uh, what, what we heard um, when we went around the county over the past year and, and appeared before uh, city commissions, city councils, and, and other uh, bodies. Uh, the, the thing that always stuck in my head, we talk about it among, you know, Sandra, Ralph, and I, was, was, was leaders, elected leaders saying to us that they support what we're trying to do, but tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. So. We're, we're telling them what to do, and and not only that, but we're going to hold you accountable <laughs> for that, and 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 hopefully they, you know, they uh, they, they understand that, and, and we've certainly had enough meetings with them, uh, sharing sharing what we have, that that I uh, we're hopeful, but it starts with their their uh, them agreeing to a fair share contribution to the implementation of, of the master plan over that 10 year period. And strategies and funding at each at, by municipality may differ. Uh, and, and I wanna get into that in just a second. So we, we, so we then jump to number three. The first thing they need to do, some cities already have, particularly the entitlement communities. I think you know, one, of the, one of the real strengths that Broward County has going forward is that we have 15 entitlement communities. I believe, Ralph, that's the largest of any county in the state of Florida, well, 15, 15 entitlement communities. So we have, we already have resources coming in from all directions. The question is, how are we doing with those? Are we leveraging what we get? Is there something we can do more? Well, we start with the housing trust fund, just as the county has its trust fund. I believe there are at least a few municipalities that have trust funds in place as well. We need to see 31 of those. 31 of those. Now, they will all act a little bit different because obviously the entitlements, the 15 entitlements, they have a little bit more going for them, uh, a little bit more to work with, but, but, but the others all have opportunities from the standpoint that they have employers, they have potentially institutions, they may have foundations, travel, tra uh, charitable organizations. It, it'll vary from municipality to municipality. But we'll work with them on that. So that, that's what we're looking at in terms of uh, a start. Now the next group um, ties into the, all these, all these are interwoven. The, in, the industry institutional sectors obviously have a big, big role to play. We saw the numbers in terms of employment. We know what the wages look like. We know what their share is uh, in terms of creating a lot of the, a lot of the cost burden that, that exists. Uh, Employer-assisted housing, a lot of best practice on that, a lot that, that can be done there. Uh, we're looking at wage adjust adjustments, vacant underutilized land, transportation stipend. There's just a lot that can be done at not only the county level, but, but more, more intentionally here. Each municipality needs to be looking at this as part of their own 
um, role responsibilities uh, within the master plan. We also need for each municipality to understand, as we have done in the past, when the Metropolitan Center did a number of linkage fee studies for, for the county, to look at that connection between development, particularly commercial development, and, and, and obviously the, the demand for, for the workers that, and the housing that they need. So we, we, need, we need localities to begin to be mindful of that, that if they have a major commercial development, that there are things that they can do. Uh, certainly there's, there's uh, uh, dedications of fund, there's uh, employer assistance, impact fees need to be taken a look, uh, a look, a look at. Obviously, there's other things that can be done that will be done as part of the larger master plan in terms of uh, particularly bonus density. So the, we, we, we think there's a number of things that, that they can build into their own, uh, own policy and, and planning efforts to, to help them become real sharers of, of what we're talking about here in terms of implementing the, the master plan. This seventh one, uh, <clears throat> establishing a revolving loan fund, within the county's affordable housing trust fund this this gets to really gets into what you were saying mayor about collaboration because there's no greater collaboration and sharing than than creating a lending consortium um, the lenders need to be big big players uh, that's going to be a, a, a real important recommendation that's going to come out of the uh, uh, the master plan the lender's role and what they can do. Once again, a lot of best practice out there. Revolving loan funds have been used throughout the country, upwards of 100 to 200 million dollars in, in some cases. This is going to this is going to require obviously um, a very aggressive uh, uh, action uh, as it, as the plan becomes implemented, because it's a constant, it's a dynamic that has to take place. Because this, it's a constant uh, revenue producer, it's, and it also uh, provides a lot of the replenishment, uh, obviously, of what we're going to need in terms of capital as we go forward as well. And and the, and the key here, the funds that are so critical here, as as noted, are those short-term, uh, low-interest construction loans, though for, for both. No, smaller private developers, but for nonprofit developers, who, this is essential. So um, we we see the, the uh, revolving loan fund as uh, one of the really key aspects of of the whole funding picture, uh, because it, it's something we can do quickly. Um, the, the replenishment happens very quickly as well, and it gets to the core of what we're trying to do in terms of sharing and and providing. Uh, an opportunity for lenders, working with lenders, uh, creating those private-public partnerships that are going to be absolutely essential to the impl implementation of the master plan. Uh, we look forward to that, um, and, 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 and we think that this would be a positive thing for the lenders as well to be able to, for us to articulate that and provide some guidance on what, those, uh, what that lending consortium might look like and what a operable affordable housing uh, revolving loan fund would, would be as well. Uh, Mayor and, and uh, commissioners, we're not to go through all of these. Uh, I know you've had this material. You recognize many of those. Uh, a number of them have been in your, your legislative package for a number of years. So 
uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll just take questions on those and, and hopefully leave enough time for you to uh, uh, ask us uh, about any other part of the presentation. Okay. Okay. So we'll now go ahead and uh, any additional thoughts from either of you before we. Well, just up? just to follow up yeah. very quickly, and uh, I don't want to take Ned's thunder, but to move things along, as he mentioned earlier. Uh, we are recommending that uh, there be a uh, performance metrics municipal dashboard that's established. We think the, uh, the Housing Council is a good place to uh, house that. That's kind of what they do. Uh, and you can see the elements that we'll be talking about there. That's what it would look like. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the next steps, I don't know, Monica, if you wanted to say anything here, just wanted me to go ahead. Or? Go ahead. You may remember that the last time we had a big workshop was a probably before we did the uh, gap financing and Sandra and I, I think we're uh, presenting that at the end of it, we had next steps. And so the next steps, for example, the Geller Amendment came out of that, the gap financing came out of that, a number of initiatives came from the plan. Uh, and that's what we intend to do here, and that is bring back to the board uh, after Ned uh, submits the final document in January, the specific recommendations for each one of the strategies, those three strategies that you heard about this morning. Uh, and, and we intend to be uh, specific about the um, benefit that they individually will provide to you. And just to give you some um, hope, and this wasn't a slide. I, we, we talked about doing this, but I thought I'd put it together real quick. So we know we have about 150,000 deficiency in affordable housing. About half of it is severely cost burden, spending 50% of your wages on housing, and about half of it's 30%. So what if we took uh, some of the ideas that we had this morning that we can associate reasonably uh, value to and convert them into future units? So I kind of did that. I split it 50-50 because we know that those units that are severely cost burden, you have to get down to that 6% of AMI, and we're really limited on strategies that work. Basically, it's bonds, it's GAAP, and it's uh, sale loans. So if we took the expired TIF, the state and federal 9% dollars, and the block grant home and ship dollars, at the end of a 30-year horizon, we would have produced 73,000 units, so about 25,000 every 10 years about half of what we needed to get, and it matches up really closely with that uh, 75,000 people that are uh, severely cost burden. And then you take some of these other ideas we took about, talked about the local fair share, um, mitigating uh, units at a very conservative level, an estimate of what may happen with Live Local, uh, the densification, and, and any other strategies and you total those up and you apply them to the easier cohort, if you want to call it that, uh, those people that are kind of the, the, the missing middle, 120% of AMI, which is sometimes pretty close to market rate, 71,000 units over 30 years. So we're, we're almost at that $150,000 mark. And if we split it up into, into uh, you know, three-year increments, the 10-year increments, 25,000, uh, 25,000, 25,000, that, that's 75 right there, and then the other half, and we're kind of there. So if we find a way to, to kind of stem the tide of producing more affordable housing needs than we're producing, 
we're going to make progress and we're going to get toward that goal. And I think it's important to have some hope that this, this is not so overwhelming that it can't be handled. It can, but it takes a lot of hard work. And as people ask me, Ralph, what if, what, what if we do nothing? What if we fail? And then the answer is easy. We become California. We do not want to become California. So with that, uh, Monica and Mayor, that's the end of our presentation. Madam Mayor? Just a second. Monica, did you have anything? I just want, again, you know, this was the culmination of, you know, as you can see, a significant amount of work, a lot of thought. Um, and, and to bring this presentation to you today, I think we may have gone over this about half a dozen times at, at three or four hours a clip. So we've condensed it, even though it seems like it might have been a lot um, to share today. But um, it's that important for this community. And so thank you for the opportunity to, to present this. I'm going to continue with some questions, but I want to thank you for the excellent presentation and, and the, you know, kind of amazing resources that you, you, you three are uh, and have been in trying to develop something that we actually, that actually can give us hope. And, uh, and I know I, I, I turn to my, my colleague over here and it, sometimes it does seem insurmountable because it's so many units and whatever, but when you put it, when you break it down in those ways, it does seem possible. And I, I just, you know, we have to do it. It's just, uh, this is just like the biggest issue in our community and it affects the most people. And I wanna, I wanna just also, we didn't talk a lot about the business community today, but, but the business community has been very, so supportive in, in certainly with the TIF dollars. Uh, when we first started, I see Walter sitting right there. We first started, you know, and it was supposed to be, you know, with economic development. And then we went 50-50. And then one year we went more than 50-50. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, this is, this is, uh, this was the help, that's, that's what I mean about collaboration and partnerships because you need the business community, you need everybody working together because everybody has to give up something that, you know, was theirs and, but it's for the betterment of, you know, and, and making this all happen. So I just want to thank you all. And I also want to thank our county attorney's office because the fact that we have more and more of these developments and jobs just puts more and more work on the county <laughs> attorney's office. But thank you for the amazing work that you do, Anika, and, and others that are involved with it. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move on and see about, we'll start with uh, uh, Hazel, and then I'm going to go to Senator Geller. Yeah. Thank you, you, Madam Mayor. And I will say thank you to the three housing czars. I'm not going to select just one. Thank you for, for your service. I know we have been talking to different groups via Zoom, so I know you have been engage in our community. So I'm looking at solutions, and I heard some advance here, but I would like for us to, I know you're looking at the banks, I heard that mentioned. We have had those discussions with trying not to make what happened during 2008, 2011, from seven to 11, what happened with the foreclosed properties and how folks were foreclosed out of their homes. All right, so I'm hoping that we have a plan that we can work with the lenders to see how we can generate some funding from the foreclosed properties to as additional funding as a funding source. I just like for us to look at foreclosed properties just like we did with real estate when we were 
us in with real estate, we came up with a funding source. Yes, the Sadasti Fund. You hear me talk about that. We generated that. The industry created that, and it was supported. Foreclosed properties are at its highest at this point. Can we find some way of making sure that we get some of those funds back into a pool of funding to help with the foreclosure issue we have? Do we recognize or tell me where we are as it relates to what percentage of the homeless population do we believe we'll never be able to help? And where are we going with that? Because when you talk about affordability, not being affordable created homelessness. Not mental health issue created homelessness. Right? So I just wanted for us to think outside the box and be realistic as we try to address housing, the housing issue, that we have a lot of homeless people that need some place to live. Where is that in our discussions? Let me, let me just say that um, the, the group did meet with the homeless community. And I, I have to say, in response to that, that the answer to homelessness is affordable housing. And Thank that you. is the direction we're going with what we've been doing with 7 on 7th. We're now looking at doing another one of these developments, hopefully in Pompano shortly at the North Hack in the North Hack area. I mean, those are, but that is definitely a very important component of all of this. Uh, I mean, we don't have, thankfully, the problems that a Los Angeles or right. San Francisco or some of these other cities have, but we constantly have issues. And, uh, and I, I just wanted to, if they want to respond, because I know that you did include them in this whole discussion. Absolutely. Uh, the, our, our presentation was given to the um, to Broward County's Homeless Continuum of Care Board. Uh, we met with the the task force, which is the street outreach team. So we've been very connected. You'd be hard pressed to find a, a provider of homeless services in Broward County that wasn't a part of the plan that you see before you today. Okay, so I know we're having conversation. I'm talking about solutions and what we are planning to do. So did not want to leave anyone out of it. I know you have talk, and talk is good. And we've been doing that for a long time. So we're looking at solutions, Don. I'm hearing your solutions, and I'm pointing to an issue that has created, that is out there, and that is homelessness. What is that specific plan that will help us to get to a good ratio that we know there's some, we can't help everyone, but hopefully we'll try and help as much as we can. So I'd like to see that solution. Then is there a way of cap? Okay, I wrote that twice. Is there a way to capture funding from every foreclosed property? What can we do? Is there a way? Okay, just like we did in Sadowski Fund. So I'll skip that, Madam Mayor, yeah. and move on to another one. I know we're looking at a um, different stream of revenue. I see where we're talking about the CRA and the TIP funding and all of that. I see us focusing on the non, the Entitlement cities. What what about cities that are under fifty thousand? That is a regional approach to for those cities to help with the foreclosure issue. Who is in charge of making sure that is understood that you know, we're saying the county's gonna do what with theirs, but the county also have a bond with the non entitlement cities, and I didn't hear how 
yes, we're going <coughs> to tell you, but we have to engage. They don't, most might not have the infrastructure, meaning staff and all the research numbers to be able to do what an entitlement city is currently doing. So it comes back to the county, and I would like to hear what the county's plans are to sure. realistically mm -hmm. engage the cities to achieve the goal because everyone must be engaged. So I want to hear the actual plan of action to, be, to engage and convince cities that they have a role to play. But I think, Ralph, Ralph, if you want to just mention sure. the meetings that you've had with, I mean, non-entitlement cities as well as entitlement cities and well, their staffs mm -hmm. and planning people and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd make two points. One is in the expired TIF and the gap financing and how we administer those programs. It, it's totally open countywide and it's on a competitive basis. And uh, if you look at the map, it, it, it's 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 spread countywide. And that's the way we want to continue to operate because uh, it, the, the the affordable private sector developers are the one that uh, put these deals together and go out and, and uh, find the property and, and take the risk. On on the uh, the non entitlement cities, uh, and Broward County is unique in this regard. And this is since before I got here, um, we take our share of the home block grant and ship which is the unincorporated area, which is not very big, and then the 15, if you want to call it that, smaller cities, non-entitlement cities. And we apply the federal formula, and we uh, every year give each one of the small cities a budget and ask them what they want to spend that money on in terms of their strategies. Do they want to do home repair? Do they want to do uh, some kind of foreclosure counseling? Do they want to do purchase assistance? So. Uh, and, and you see those uh, agenda items, which the big spreadsheets that show each of the cities and what their strategies are and what their <coughs> amounts are. So we're, we're, we are fully engaged in sharing our, our, uh, our grant funding in that way to the extent that because there's so little unincorporated area, there's not much left for us to do and we have to go find other sources like program income. But uh, we are very mindful of engaging the small cities and asking them defining their fair share and asking them what strategies they want to implement. Thank you, Madam. Thank you. Mr. McKenzie, yeah. I thought it was a senator who didn't be, but um, yeah, we're gonna... I'll go. There's just a couple of comments. And <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you, Senator. <laughs> and I know we... This is the only time we really get a chance to talk, and I think this 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 workshop is really good. I think what we have been presented is excellent. I think most of us, as Commissioner um, uh, Rogers has pointed out, we've worked some form of fashion in our careers, not as extensive as the resume building uh, senator. <laughs> That's another word for old. <laughs> but you know, the Sadowski Fund, which we know that was good when it started, but it got raided. We created tools here that you speak about often, the lockbox and some of the things we talked about today. And if I had to talk about my resume, I would go back to 20-something years ago when I chaired the Housing Authority uh, Board, and everyone in the room wanted to go up, up. But I fought for the BMST to keep doing the infill housing, and now 23 years later, you said it was a success. Yeah. Um, to add to that, the movie studio, that we signed the lease when I was at Fort Lauderdale, and we, we did some things here at the, at the county. 
has now created um, excitement on the corridor, as you mentioned, which is probably going to impact you the most. Uh, they're buying property from 19th Street to, all the way to Broward Boulevard. It can complete this last piece of the uh, BMSD, um, even out to the old Kmart site where there's a planned uh, hotel and activity center. So none of this stuff could have ever happened if it wasn't for the folks 40 years ago saying, let's put a circle downtown, let's draw a circle, and then you start there, and then it kind of like, you know, it, it, it goes out. It's a tipping point. And I've experienced it uh, at the city. I mean, I've, I've benefited as, as a city commissioner in my district, and now I'm benefiting uh, e even more. So I think we're right where we need to be. We just need to uh, keep pushing it, uh, keep uh, thinking outside of the box, um, and incentivizing folks to do so. I know Commissioner Rogers mentioned the flow culture market, and I saw the the senator shake his head about the funding and the restrictions of funding. So, and I've asked you this question before publicly. Uh, when we did the NSP program, when we did go after um, foreclosures, and your department took it and, and we just picked up a lot of those homes and that created another market of affordable housing. And it went as far as Coral Springs um, to, to Cooper City. And we, we captured a lot of, the, of those products. Is that, is that something we can do now, or is there a pot of money that we, can, we could uh, find resources for to, to look at that? That was, that was a, a, a national and, and very large mm -hmm. uh, allocation of what was called the Neighborhood Stabilization, mm -hmm. uh, one and two grants, which were huge and very important for us. Uh, I don't see us with anything close to that kind okay. of resource available to us. but. We do have program income that rolls over from those uh, properties that mm -hmm. uh, we can do a little bit on, and we, we try and match it up with, with foreclosure uh, strategies. Uh, but other than that, we don't have anything pending right now in that regard. All right. And then early on in coming to, uh, the, to the dais, if you will, uh, we identified some other areas, and I know that uh, Commissioner um, What's his name from Pompano? Fisher, um, the, yeah. the good looking guy. <laughs> Fisher uh, was working on some things, but. Not Bogan. No, 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 no. He needs a haircut and some things. Well today. Don't pick on him. But there were some big things he was working on, both you and Bogan, um, in particular the hotel. And we couldn't really talk about it. I was doing some things too, and now we're in this meeting, and I keep hearing the buzzes of there's some stuff that we're going to do in Pompano. We, we purchased a hotel, and I think that's going to be a good site uh, for an affordable housing uh, opportunity. And I'd like for us to you know, expound more as we, as we move forward as what we're doing uh, on that site, or if, the, if there's any interest. Um, on that site because what he's done and others before him have done in Pompano is is a reminder of what happened in the BMSD. Uh, I know Habitat for Humanity came in and did some infill housing, uh, which is good. I don't particularly like the the um, the uh, deed restriction where there's never an ownership uh, in the houses if you ever turn it over. That I think we need to work on. It needs to be modeled much like if we fund some of these uh, sources or give uh, inventory to it, we need to look at uh, the model you use, 15-year, 20-year deed restrictions, because that's the biggest purchase. And if we're going to um, you know, uh, do this, I think we got to look at that piece. And I, I uh, as a commissioner leaving Fort Lauderdale, 
I didn't support one of their projects uh, on the way out because of that deed restriction. Um, so, but the product itself is a, is a good product, but it doesn't allow them the opportunity to, to, to transfer uh, those homes. It goes back into the affordable housing uh, inventory as a house. I don't think that's good when someone's paying a mortgage, but I think we need to talk about it because a lot, all of us have our hands in, in it. And uh, I know when you were mayor, you mentioned another opportunity for, uh, in Pompano, a possible opportunity, which I have no idea what it was for the, for the homeless issues. Uh, if you can expound on that so that we can be let in on the, uh, the opportunity because we can't talk until these things arise. And I know all of us work diligently behind closed doors for our districts, but this is the meeting I think now that we can share. And uh, I think I shared some things with you that is really gonna help your district and others. And if you could just help me with those two projects, uh, that will conclude uh, my inquiries. Yeah, let me let me just say okay uh, I, because uh, you're familiar I'm sure with seven on seven because mm -hmm. that was in Fort Lauderdale built you know I think partially yeah. you know the process started way when you were a commissioner for sure yeah and yes. it, it is an amazing project 72 yes. units formerly homeless or uh, about yep. to be homeless or formerly homeless uh, it the building is full I was there with you, you had it, ribbon, all exactly of us. so Wearing you know, aprons and right exactly so <laughs> so um, that th that is the similar thing that we're wanting to do up in Pompano because there uh, this was done at the central hack right. this other one would be done near the north hack so that you use the resources of the hacks as well right you know so whatever you have for uh, like career source comes in and they do job training and they have computers and all this kind of you know all, that's a whole support whole support system there there of support services and so that's what we're looking at it's 707 so is, we had we have three yeah, and, and we have three million dollars in our budget this year for actually preparation of the land there which is going to need some work drainage and all kinds of things okay. if you want to kind of yeah, and that, I kind of just want to get it out there. Yeah, that's I know it. what it and is. But people we're just keep, waiting for funding. They keep, we're waiting for funding. But we keep getting we keep getting beat up, you know, about what we're not doing. But we're doing so much more. I think we need to talk about it more because yeah. if you go over to the hack over there, I mean, that is the model that we should take everywhere. And, that's what we're and if we get ten more of those, <laughs> half of the problem is solved. But a lot of the homeless folks, uh, we're not going to touch regardless um, because they don't they don't want the help or. Help is not what they're looking for. So yeah. that's why I bought, I bought that up. But and then the other piece, uh, the uh, the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Right. OK, Senator Geller. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, Commissioner McKenzie, before I say anything else, I just want to say I agree with you, as is generally the case. I agree with you completely. Oh, by the way, I'm going to yeah. yield my time back to you. No, thank you, sir. <laughs> I agree with you completely on the shared uh, on the mortgage issue, but you know that normally is dealt with through the shared appreciation concept. If that's not being done here, I'm not happy to discuss that. And I knew that, but I knew she yeah. mentioned it, and I wanted to kind of see if there was something we can do to help push that initiative forward. Well, uh, if, but if it, they're it, paying it, a mortgage, that's historically a way of building wealth, and you're correct, the people that are paying oh, that mortgages, yeah, yeah. that mm -hmm. part, really okay. need to, and you're, you're, you're correct in that. Um, and on to this, 
number of items. First, I agree with, as I said earlier, I agree with you completely on the densification, transit-oriented development mixed use. I think that's going to have to end up being a lot of the solution because, and I'm just basing this on history, the business community is going to say, yeah, yeah, we're right there with you. But when it comes to write big checks, I don't expect to see it. The, the cities are going to say, oh, yeah, absolutely, this is a huge problem. But again, just based on history, when we've asked them to contribute towards, for example, fighting homelessness, I think, Monica, is there two or three cities out of the 31 that have been helping with that? Um, okay, so, you know, at, at the end of the day, on the other parts that are listed here, which are legislation and relying on local governments, I think we're going to get a lot of pats on the back and congratulations and criticism. Why aren't you doing more? I just don't, I hope, I hope that I'm wrong, but I just don't see the large checks coming, nor do I see the legislation that we've been trying to pass for, you know, decades or centuries, it seems like, that we haven't been successful suddenly passing now. So that's why I think the densification TOD mixed use has to be the, the core. Now, first question, um, um, I want to, Commissioner McKenzie's gone, I was going to say about how long I've been doing it. But I've been, since I was elected, I've been able to change a lot of laws, but never the law of supply and demand. Now, Ralph, you and I have gone over this that over the long run, last 25 years, give or take, the average population in Broward has been increasing by around, give or take, 14,000 people a year. And you've told me that currently um, the average, and this number has been declining, but currently the average family size is around 2.1. Well, since I'm not that good in math, I'll round that to two and I can divide 14 by two. So I know that means that there are seven that we need 7,000 new units per year in Broward County just to keep up with population growth. We agree on that, right? Okay. So base, do you know any of you how many units a year with government assistance, without government assistance, private, are we keeping up with the demand? Because if we're not building total at least 7,000 or 7,500, there's really, and we have to do everything we can, but we can't solve the problem if there are more people chasing a limited supply. On the other hand, if we have more units coming online, then we can do something because supply and demand i can't change that does anybody know the answer uh yes sir in fact uh, ned shared uh, some data just last week that was really staggering in, in terms of job creation in broward county versus miami-dade we're creating more jobs than they are last year year over year it was around thirty-four thousand, thirty-two thousand jobs and uh they're about the same spot we're a little higher than they are they're but they're permitting one unit for every two jobs, so around 15,000 units. We permitted 2,500. All right, so we are permitting, we are growing by at least the need for 7,000 units a year, and all told, including 
the government-assisted, market-rate, private sector, everything else, we're only building 2,500 units a year. According to the statistics we got this week, yes. That's the case. I don't know. We have to be building more units, mm -hmm. and there's no more land left, so there's only one direction left to build, which leads to another question that I have. Um, in private sector, I'm also zoning land use lawyer. Every time I try and put in height, people complain, the neighbors complain, and I think what I what y'all are saying is that the only solution that we're going to have is densification, and you are repeatedly recommending additional height, which I think makes sense. I'm just not sure that when we try and do this that you're not going to end up with 100 neighbors wearing red shirts every time something like that happens. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, sir. We're, we're hoping that the uh, state legislature has is, is, uh, done us uh, something beneficial uh, through the Live Local Act and that now uh, it has preempted local government in terms of height in certain circumstances, particularly in the kinds of areas that, Murray, that Dr. Murray laid out in his map, and the same thing with density. Okay. So unless they come back and change that, doesn't matter how many people show up with the t-shirt and the red line through it and the circle and all that it doesn't matter they don't have a decision to make okay on a related note um florida i'm on the executive committee florida association of counties i'd ask them to work on creating a live local act glitch bill committee they have it's a seven member committee i'm the only one on it from an urban county yay i'm glad that you know hendry county has a rep on it um <laughs> But um, so to the extent we've been told, FAC, that there's probably, Broward has, and I know Senator Rich has been extremely active in that, has been working on trying to do a local bill, essentially. We've been told there's not going to be probably a, a state bill this year. So we're working for the 2025 session. So I'm inviting any input that I can bring. Our first meeting is actually... I think it's tomorrow, of the FAC, Florida Association of Counties Committee. Um, the uh, next question is, we're doing a ton on the workforce housing, which is great. It looks like we're doing very little on the low and very low, which, are, which is the in most insurmountable problem. It's the most expensive. It's the hardest to deal with. Do you have any recommendations on how we deal with that? Because I, I think what we're working on is critical, is good, is very important, but it, it's mostly in the workforce section. Um, Commissioner, actually, the, uh, the tax credit funding and the HFA bond allocation, uh, and for the most part, our, our gap funding is at 80% and below, and in, in the... Uh, the bond products, it's actually, for the most part, split up between 60% AMI and 30%. So it does get oh, at good. that very low population. Okay. Honestly, where we have had the, the donut hole is in the, the missing middle, the workforce piece. And now Live Local hopefully That's will help, help solve that. Great. Thank you. Uh, on the TIF, which is where the debate is 50 versus 100%, um, the uh, where is that other the other fifty percent was supposed to be going for economic development, which is a extremely vague term. But um, are the where are the local governments on that? 
plus the other issues that you had. For example, the local governments provide their fair share on page 22. Where are, have there been discussions with local governments on these and uh, are, are we going to be battling them or are they going to say, sure, great, and not do anything or do you believe they will really be partners? So I want to clarify something. So the 50-50 the conversation is on the county side and the other component that Ralph was also honing in on was on the city side of when when the county CR um, TIF portion when the, when the CRA is expired and that portion goes away, what they are doing with their portion because we are having some other conversations um, with municipalities. Um, I think when you know we had Hollywood and, and Pompano Beach, and so we have some other communities that want to have these conversations with us about possibly extending the non TIF portion, and part of that conversation. I've already had um, several, I know you know that, um, that I've had some conversations with Davey, for example, on, you know, if they brought something to the county commission for, um, for request for, the, for an expansion of time on the non-TIF, with a non-TIF portion, what would that look like for the money that they would be bringing in um, on their side and what, and encouraging them to look at some dedication of affordable housing um, concentration um, for what they'd be using for that. So that's the, how, that is a um, mechanism that I am engaging in and with Ralph's help um, with those conversations. Um, I don't, what else did you want to kind of Well, in, in terms of how the, the uh, city officials, both elected and city managers and economic development directors and, and planning directors have responded has been very positive. Great. I mean, I, I have to be honest. I used to be a city manager, the last thing on my mind and the last thing I wanted to talk about was affordable housing. In this environment, given what's going on in the private sector and giving their own recruitment challenges, my recruitment challenges, I don't know how they don't pay attention to this. So we're hopeful that what we heard from them in, in a year's worth of talking will We'll see if they write the meaningful. checks. Yes, sir. Okay, almost done. Uh, two quick things. Number one, um, on the revolving loan, just to let you know, the South Florida Regional Planning Council does have an existing revolving uh, revolving loan fund program, which also does a great deal on single-family homes. So we have the expertise already. We have a, a full-time administrator on that, and you know we'd like to work together on that. Number two, um, you know, when we're measuring on affordability, it's always done as a percentage of income. That's one of the reasons as county commissioner I've been focusing so much on increasing wages, and I think that's something we need to be talking about because increasing wages is a way of making housing more affordable. The last thing I have is a question, which is seniors. Um, is there any, I mean, as I've been saying, as Senator Rich has been saying for a very long time about the silver tsunami and all of this, is there any focus that we are creating on uh, affordability for seniors yes. and if so can you comment on that because yes, senator yes. rich keeps saying yes, yes. but can you can you comment on focus for seniors yes sir. And, and we, that was uh, my last question yes um the the programs and the funding that we administer really is blind to age except for you do have the option, and some of the tax credit developers have elected to do 55 and over senior communities. 
Other than that, uh, we really don't have anything that that focuses on seniors. If I could ask if you could look at this, because this is an area of great concern and probably the fastest growing area of people that will be homeless sure. is in the state. I will and, say this, Commissioner, um, you know, we, we are looking at density bonuses that other states have used um, as we as we're talking about in terms of uh, certain levels of AMI bonus densities would increase at certain increments of that AMI the lower you go but some communities um, and states across the country have have also done density bonuses for elderly as kind of ties into what Ralph's saying and the other thing we're looking at which we think would be really beneficial and also ties into the homelessness issue is elderly home sharing uh, we think we have the institutions in place here in Broward uh, we, where we could really put together, I think, so, propose something that I think would be very workable and, and another way of bringing in our institutions uh, and, um, and our agencies as well. well. I would like to work with you on that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Senator. Senator Gallo, I'll, I'll just piggyback off of that. Um, I, I regularly get approached by developers that want to talk about affordable housing. And, and to your point, and just putting on my FHFC hat for a minute, I always encourage them to look at those special population RFAs because they are woefully undersubscribed and our ability to be able to bring those dollars down is, is much larger than when everyone's competing for the county-specific RFA. So whether it's homelessness or seniors, you know, any of those special populations, special population RFAs that are at the state, I'm always encouraging developers, look at those. I can introduce you to nonprofit partners that you can work with on them, uh, but it is something that, that we are looking at and we do recognize that those special populations have a larger burden than, you know, than, than the workforce and, and your average family. I'd like to work with you on that. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, you do, you do have several things going. I mean, yes. we have the Douglas Gardens one yes. is mm -hmm. seniors. That's 410 affordable units. One of the largest senior housing largest developments senior being built in the country. is going up in Pembroke Pines right now. Yes. So, I mean, there are things that are, are happening, and we are pushing that. And Charlotte Mather-Taylor, who's CEO of Area Agency on Aging, was part of, we had a, uh, Dr. Murray convened uh, a group, uh, brought together uh, all the senior, senior providers and and, uh, and, and others, actually some developmental disabilities came out of that as well, I'm eating from that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a huge issue. There's no question about it, but. No, 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 please I'm learning how to do that, so I'm participating. We had discussions around our seniors and housing. I'm not always talking about new housing. I'm talking about sustaining the ones we currently have. In your discussion, in your plans, in your solutions, where do you address that issue? All of these condos, they are on fixed income with all of these assessments and everything that they're challenged with. What is our plans for those properties? Thank you. Okay. Thank We're going to move on Chair. now to our former mayor. Thank, thank you, Mayor. Thank you so much. Um, First of all, thank you, Dr. Murray and DeSandra and Ralph, and obviously I have to give a shout out to Walter Duke too for his commitment to affordable housing when it comes to the workshop and so forth. And it talks about our partnerships and collaboration as the mayor has stated. Um, and thank you for bringing some solutions to the table. You know, we have talked about this for so long and now we at least have something that can give us a guidebook that we can work towards and, and really get down on those numbers that we need to be. So thank you for that. A couple of questions, and I maybe I heard it, I'm not sure, Ralph. Uh, when it comes to Live a Local Act, 
how many units are you projecting? Was that seventy-one thousand that I hear? No. Uh, no, I was I was projecting, and, and this is particularly just back the napkin kind of thing because mm -hmm. so much of live, live local has really yet to to produce units. Right. We've heard a lot of talking about it, but uh, I, over over the thirty-year horizon, I was figuring. Um, 10,000 units, which I think is really conservative. Okay, very good. And as far as the Geller Amendment, I know we've we've struggled in the sense of how many municipalities have actually adopted that ordinance. Do we know to date of the 31? Well, the, the unique thing about it is is that they don't have to adopt it. They have, well, they, I mean, they I have mean, to actually take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Yeah. Of it. Actually, the City of Pompano, I think, was the very first one that took advantage of it. Need you, need you put you on the record. You said four cities. Okay. So, Miramar, West Park, Pompano Beach, and Fort Lauderdale have taken advantage today. So we obviously we want to get a more promotional aspect on that if we can. The planning council, whatever they need to be doing to make sure that the remaining cities do take advantage of it because it's going to be important at the end of the day. Uh, I want to, Commissioner McKenzie, I just want to bring him up to date too on the Motel 6 property that we were fortunate enough to be able to purchase. And I, and I, I say that we put our money where our mouth is when we were able to do so, and that's a five plus acre site. Um, we're going unfortunately through the issue with um, uh, asbestos and dealing with that, then we can finally demolish the, the structure and ultimately put that out for an ultimate bid to have it about housing affordability. Um, I can tell you that, and, and asking uh, Ms. Superior to let everybody know when that demo permit and that wrecking ball happens, because we want to be out there with hard hats <laughs> and making sure that it comes down and we can make that a reality. But here's the key, too, is when we were in the process of purchasing that property, the little local lot came into play. And my calculation shows it could be additional 100 units that could be put on that property because of that act. So you can see, and, and Pablo Beach is thirsty for that. Uh, they are welcoming it. The 31st corridor is welcoming it, and hopefully we can domino effect. And I'm not going to get into that. Some other properties along that corridor, but that will make a big difference. And we also talk about the North Hack is what the mayor talked about too. And I think that's going to be 130 so units that we're going to be able to put there at our North Hack to making that difference. Also, want to talk about Commissioner McKenzie talked about the deed restriction issue, and we serve along with Commissioner Bogan on the Residential Advisory Board for the City of Pompano Beach. When I was mayor, we negotiated that $10 million, and we're going through that now, Ralph, as you well know. And when the Housing Authority brought that forward, that deed restriction did have heartburn with me too, because I want to make sure that we have housing ownership. And so I know that's coming up in the near future, that meeting, and I think everybody should know that. The projects are going to come forward. We want to make sure it's the right projects for the right of that. And $10 million sounds like a lot of money, as you well know it's not. So we need to make sure that uh, we do the proper thing there. And then um, on the 13 cities that have expired TIFs and also the local trust funds, Ralph, can you get for me District 4 cities that have local trust funds and also, and everybody else, maybe every district? of the local trust funds and all the that have expired TIFs so we can kind of go out there and try to do our selling uh, to our municipalities. You know, I meet quarterly with my mayors uh, and I want to make sure that we get the message out and how they can help. I do tend to agree with Senator Geller. I'm trying to be optimistic 
when they say, yes, we want to help and we want to do this, it's, it's most difficult to do that, but I'm going to do our best, uh, at least in District 4, to try to carry that message and see how we can do it innovatively and how we can work together on that. So I'd like to get that data. And then also, I thought here you're talking about uh, partnerships uh, with certain ownerships and the school board. You know, I think that's something, uh, Monica, if we can get Larry to do a synopsis, at least I know, for instance, in the Poplar Beach Elementary School, there's a huge piece of land next to there that maybe we can work with the school board to maybe do affordable project there, right for our teachers. They can actually live and work right there. But also other properties that we can, I mean, I know they have other lands available. Let's start that conversation as soon as we can to to be able to feed a market feeder for our teachers and our firefighters and our and our police officers. So I think that's all I have now. I tried to be quick mayor, because I know time is of the essence, but uh, that's where I want to go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you. See you, Dean. So I was all set to hate this before I came out. Um, and just perfectly honest, I was all set to hate this before it came out, and I figured I'd have Sandra and Walter over the next week yelling at me. And they know if I did hate this, I would say it, and I'd respect them. But I happen to not hate it. I happen to like a lot of what's in here. I, I spent the weekend working with and, and going through this with some local uh, developers just to get some ideas and culminating with a meeting with Ralph yesterday on the phone where we actually went through a lot of this because I didn't want to bog down with specific questions I had and a lot of my questions were answered. So just, just conceptually some things that I just want to put out there with this because I happen to like it. I think that you did a good job in, 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 in codifying uh, the, the, an underlying issue, which is where I think everyone buys into, um, and everyone buys into this, you know, this missing middle piece of where we just can't get work. We can't get people that can that can afford to live here. The homelessness issue is a huge issue. It's part of homeless. Uh, it's part of affordable housing, but it's not this. And I, I, you know, I'll work with the homeless. What they did in 7th on 7th, I think, is an amazing winner. They should do more of these. We should subsidize them where we need to subsidize them. And we should... What? We recorded that, right? Yeah, we, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of that. That's the only way that you're going to be able to do it. When something comes up with senior housing, the seniors have a much different set of problems because they're on a fixed income. But what this, to me, where the big number of units comes in is that missing middle from whatever the AMI is to whatever the AMI is, those people just can't afford to live here. Um, and, and, and as Senator Rich said, you can talk about two teachers who want to live somewhere, a husband and wife, or a partner, or firefighters, or workers, whatever it is. That, that group, to me, I, I think is, is the big issue. And I like the way that this brings us out. I, will, I support these things because it talks about increasing supply. And I won't support, when it comes to us, things that are flowery and look nice that we can then go to the media and say, hey, we did this, but it's going to crimp supply because I know how that movie ends and everybody in the room knows how that movie ends. We need to make sure that we do these things that increase and put more supply in the market, not less supply in the market. So like when we talk about foreclosure assistance, 
That's great, but that's not really totally this problem because you haven't created another unit. You still have an affordable unit. You're just substituting one person or one family into that unit that would take that unit. It's a problem, and I think we need to look at it, but it really, to me, isn't this underlying problem. So I look at a couple things that I think we should focus more on. I agree with the TIF runoff, and I agree with using that. But what I will say is I'm still being approached by cities that want to continue with their TIF as they expire. They come up with a million reasons to Sunday. Every municipality wants to have a downtown Meisner Park feel, but not every municipality is going to be able to do that. And as soon as we realize that, I think we're going to get closer to solving this problem. When you put something in a CRA for 30 years, if you're not able to accomplish your goal in 30 years, on year 32 and year 33, I, I, it's hard to, to see where that needs to be an extension. So I think those dollars can go towards that. I love what, um, what they're doing with the ERA project and what Affiliated is doing. I think that that's really a model that we should be looking at. No money out front. It's all on the back end, and it's like a mini TIF that they then get. They create it. They create the problem. Give them the benefit. I think we should do more models of that. Um, I haven't spoken to Walter Duke about this, but if I was a betting person, I would say he has seven to ten projects on his desk of developers that want to take advantage, that are close enough to market rate with the live local at 120% AMI that can then squeeze into that, which is, again, like a reverse mini TIF on the other end. They're going to get a benefit because those units now help that, that missing middle and help that affordable housing component. I support that. Um, I support what Senator Geller, even though he's not here, so I sh shouldn't have to support his stuff. I think that building these, building these uh, in transportation corridors, especially, I think that the meeting that we're going to have at 1 o'clock is way more valuable to affordable housing, no disrespect intended, than what we're doing now. Because I think a lot of those spots where you have these train stations are going to be where we're going to be able to solve affordable housing and, and put a lot there. And I always say, my friends in Fort Lauderdale that were on the commission, the amount of pain that they must have had to take over the years approving a lot of what's in their downtown core for, before people realize you need to get that density there. And now it's a 24-hour, you don't need a car to live in Fort Lauderdale right now. And that's a huge, huge affordable housing burden. That's not going to happen in some of the other areas around the, around the county, whether they want to admit it or not. And, and I guess people can go through that exercise if they want to have it. But it's got to be around these, these multimodal and especially a commuter rail st you know, station. So I'd support that. Um, yeah, and, and, and I'll leave it at that. So like, I'm going to just focus as I move forward with this with three boxes. Homelessness and severe homelessness, I think that's a different issue than this. It plays into this, um, but I think it's a different issue. The senior tsunami, again, a different issue. And then this whole workforce housing affordability, which I think you guys hit the nail on the head in this, and I'm supportive of it. That's my comments. See you happy now? Senator Rich, you can stop yelling mostly, at me. My mostly, daughter won't mostly, yell at me. Mostly. Everyone comes and says, Nan Rich is mad at you. Madam Mayor, yeah, yeah. Madam Mayor, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the conversation. 
and you triggered something for me, and if okay, you will allow me just to, a minute. We, we really have to close. Just a minute. Okay. Okay? Ahead. I am going to say to everyone that will say to me, just another minute, and okay, no, I represent some people that wants me okay. to speak, and I'm, what I'm stating here is from conversation within my district. So allow me, this is the only time we have to speak, okay. and having a workshop with two hours on something this major, and limiting anyone's opportunity to address an issue. No one is I love you and I love all of you, but this is Hazel Rogers representing District 9, not just myself. I hear my colleague on the foreclosure issue. I'm asking this group, all of us here, to really look at it. Are we seeing an increase in seniors losing their homes? Their condominiums, have we looked at that? I see us looking at the other side of developing new condominiums, but what about saving the ones that we currently have? Some communities have a lot of condos that are challenged with all of this new special assessment and all of that have we taken into consideration? When someone tells me there was an increase in assessment for what, 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 of $15,000, and they have no idea as to how to resolve this issue. I'm asking this county to take a look at that. It's serious. And yes, Commissioner, I don't know what the, what the numbers are as it relates to foreclosures and in what areas you might see more than some, but we did the research, now's the time to dig a little bit deeper so when you're making your recommendations, we can help you with the solution because the community is ready. So I like that, but also this Live Local Act has taken a lot from ho local home rule because you have planned how you wanted your communities to develop and now you have these proposal for density, which is good, but we are also one unit, one parking space. What are we creating here in doing some of these type of developments? I would like to have the conversation that deal with those issues. Yes, recreational areas, sidewalks for, for little tots and moms that wants to stroll in these communities. What are we doing here? I'm, I'm done, you heard me. Okay, thank you. How I walk thank in you. those communities, where I park in those communities, all of that has been diminished. We need to talk about it when we develop these plans. Okay, thank you okay. very, very much. Thank um, you, Madam Mayor. Yes, thank you. Um, I would like to just to say you made my day, actually. <laughs> <laughs> not 100%, a, not a, not a but a lot. No, no, just a minute. Wait a second. I just want to, I just want to mention a couple of things, first of all. I want to just mention about the Live Local Act. I know Senator Geller is not here, but, you know, we, we are, even though it, it appears that they are not going to have a bill we are not going to give up on some of the issues here because no one has brought up today climate resilience and that bill is it can be a disaster for climate resilience and we believe that it has to be addressed so we're not going to give up there are other ways than a bill uh -huh. uh, that things can become law they can be part of other bills amendments whatever so we're still going to be talking about about this issue um, also, um, I want to mention that I believe that Barbara Blake Boy right there has a list of all the vacant properties in Broward County. Is that correct? 
You have you have a list of the vacant properties. Yes, the community use amendment. You have, but that's the, what he's talking about. All the school board and the property and so forth. Yeah, that, that does exist. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And I just want to say one thing. I agree with you. The meeting that we're having in just like a half hour or forty-five minutes uh, is going to have a lot to do with affordable housing. If you drive down US One in Miami-Dade County, I lived there. I grew up down there, and all I can say is you have transit-oriented uh, housing. You have it's unbelievable. Underneath the bridges, you have playgrounds and walking areas and all the things that you were just talking about. And so, you know, we, we, we have to move. <laughs> we have to move on our commuter rail because that is how we're going to get this transit-oriented issue uh, off the ground here in, uh, in Broward County. So um, I believe that's it, but I have one last thing. It is someone's birthday today, I believe. I think it's Drew Meyer's birthday today, Whoa. and we have a cake for you. <laughs> All right. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Drew. Happy birthday to you. And we want to thank Commissioner Bogan for, allow, for alerting us to this, right, and the cake. Thank you. Okay, I think it's seeing no we're further comments. No, 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 we're not. We're not. Okay, one o'clock. We're back here. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, lunch is here. You take it with you back to your office, whatever. And we'll see you at one. Thank you. <laughs>